All right. It's been a while. Yeah, a long while. Yeah. I guess we're both kind of busy, right? We, we, we do other things beyond the podcast, um, despite what our listeners may think. Yeah, and we're lazy. <laughs> Tony, you're not supposed to, that's the quiet part, right? You can't say that out loud, right? <laughs> we, don't, Come on. We, don't, we don't lie here. This is yeah. a safe space. <laughs> that, that too. That too. Okay. Well, um, I wanted to get on just because um, I know we're both busy, we're pressed for time, but I think, you know, there's been a bunch of stuff being written right now on the one year anniversary of the Ukrainian war. And I thought it'd be a good time to talk about it. Love it. All right. Let's, let's do, do it. it. This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Amit Prakash. This week we're going to be talking about the Ukrainian war, um, Russia's aggression, and America's role and potential role going forward. Okay, so I know when this started, you were like religious about following this, right? Um, yeah, still am. Yeah, you still are. Okay, okay. I, right. I remember you describing it as kind of like a moral imperative, like you felt like you had to like follow. Yeah, I'm on, in it. You know, yeah. Um, so you're you're watching the day by day. I want to get an impression um, of who you think is winning. Um, I mean, what's winning? Great. You know, how yeah. are we defining winning here? Because nobody's winning. I mm -hmm. mean, the, the Ukrainians are winning in that Russia's not winning. But the country is being obliterated. The people are freezing. They're starving. They're fleeing. Uh, the infrastructure is completely destroyed. So it's literally like it just winning is not being overthrown by Russia. That's their best case scenario. The Russians are losing because they've exposed their military to be straight trash. And the only reason they're still in this fight is because they have a nuclear arsenal that's the biggest in the world. If, if you take the nukes out of the game, NATO, the allies come in this thing and it's probably over pretty quickly because the Russians are incompetent. I mean, they're sending literally prisoners to the front line uh, at, with the promise of if you live, you're free. And um, and young people like I was just reading the other day an account of um, uh, like a Ukrainian general who's saying it's like the people they're killing are like 22. Like they're just young boys that sure. are yeah. are just being like they have no training, just being slaughtered. Um, and, the, and and Russia's tactic is like, well, we have we have a lot more soldiers, so who cares if they just get killed at, at some point we'll kill more of you uh, or we'll kill enough of you that who cares that we lose hundreds of thousands just of people. It's, by it's really population spirit. Yeah. It's like playing yeah. risk. It's like, yeah. it's actually really horrible. So, so to answer your question, that's a long way of saying you, the Ukraine is winning this in terms of just a uh, international um, uh, show of force, but there's no winner. Okay. I love that answer. Um, I, I totally agree with it. And uh, the one of the things that I find kind of troubling about even like the best reporting on this is that they're reporting it kind of like a horse race, which I kind of understand, you know, battles have, you know, outcomes and, you know, ostensibly you could say somebody won this battle and so on. Um, but the impression that's given like just, I think two days ago in the times there was this, like the headline was, you know, 
Russia's tank assault completely implodes and, you know, exposes their weaknesses and they're making the same mistakes and, you know, et cetera. And, and that all may well be true, um, but we're still talking about Russian troops in Ukrainian territory trashing the place, right? Yeah. So, so that um, it's still the case that, you know, operationally, Russia is in Ukrainian territory. Um, and as you said, uh, destroying its infrastructure, killing its people, um, and, you know, the consequences are going to reverberate for a long time, uh, let alone the, you know, five to 10 million refugees it's created as well, right? So, so there's just like this massive thing. Um, one of the questions that came out of the recent stuff that's being written. And there's a, I, I, I just have to recommend this piece to everybody. This guy, Thomas Meany, um, wrote, who's at the Max Planck Institute in Germany. He's actually a former graduate student of our friend of the show, Sam Moyne. Um, mm. And he wrote a piece called America's in over its head came out in the times today, highly recommend reading it. And so I want to sort of connect this to, you know, the American role here, because you know, of course, it's going to go down to like partisanship as like everything has recently. Um, you know, the Republicans are starting to balk at a blank check for Ukrainian support, um, even some Democrats. And, you know, there's there's different rationales behind this, you know, besides the politics. But one of the things that, you know, I want to sort of build on what you mentioned is that so the reason that we have to take Vladimir Putin and Russia very seriously is because of their nuclear arsenal, right? Of course. Um, but even beyond that, um, Russia can and most likely will do things short of nuclear weapons that could be quite awful, right? That, that you know, they're targeting civilians, they're targeting the electricity and heat, uh, they can poison the water. They can do. They can do all sorts of things short of of you know even tactical nuclear we weapons. Um, and so one of the things that Meany points out um, is that you know to what extent should the U.S. be willing to back uh, Zelensky to the end? Because before, like a year ago, the Ukrainian war aims were. Uh, let's stop this war immediately and um, Ukraine will not join the EU and not join NATO. And that's that. Right. And that'll sort of, you know, settle any sort of worries that Russia may have a year later. Um, Zelensky's war aims and they're driven by, you know, his popularity, but also the popular suffering of his people because they they want nothing less now is that they want all the territory back. They want, Crimea back from 2014, uh, and they want to have a war crimes tribunal um, on, for the Russian high command and maybe even um, the politicians for um, atrocities committed during this war. And those are like the clear stated war aims, which they've said are incontrovertible, right? Like we're, we're, we're taking nothing less than this. What do you think about that? You mean the Ukrainians wanting everything. Like those three back. things, right? Like we want all every inch of land back. You know, we're mm -hmm. not going to negotiate. You guys get a yeah. sliver of this. We want it all back. And then after that, we also want to prosecute 
um, your political and military elite for starting yeah. an aggressive war and committing war crimes? Um, I'm fine with it until there's a, until we're at a negotiating table. Russia doesn't seem like they have put anything on the table in terms of a here's how we stop this war other than we're taking back our land. So at what point, you know, to, for, for, for Zelensky to propose, okay, fine, we'll give you some stuff. It would, it would just crush their national patriotism, their pride. I mean, right now they're fighting for survival. That would cue possibly this is going to end and probably take a lot of the firepower out of them. So, you know, this is just obviously, <laughs> I'm a total coward. I mean, I'm a, you know, this is me sitting at my desk in my nice house in New Orleans, just, uh, you know, uh, Monday quarterbacking this thing. But that's how we're doing this. We're talking. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't do it. I would, I would say until Russia comes to propose something, I would say we're fucking going to just keep killing Russians. Like you guys are getting fucked up and like, it's embarrassing. And the Russian troops are losing morale. They have no food They're It's not like they're in good shape. They're in really bad shape. So if you're coming up, up against these people, you were supposed to beat in like a week and you're over a year later and you're seeing the people to the right and left of you die that's pretty defeating dude and then when they're saying no fuck you we're taking everything back we're gonna kill all of you that's terrifying i mean you know just as a pure psychological tactic the ukrainians aren't working with the same amount of artillery firepower as the russians what they have is is the psychological advantage i mean they are like this is like complete underdogs like whooping the shit out of the bully it's unbelievable right so i think that's all true at the same time for the view of the United States. So are you saying that you see like these stated like war aims as like bluster, you know, just kind of like, oh, we're just like talking tough because it's good for morale. Um, and also it'll be like political suicide to be like, yeah, we'll give give away Donetsk or whatever. I, I do. Um, I do think there. I, I think it's both. I think in the perfect world, like, look, I'm sure Zelensky and the Ukrainians are like praying that's that the Russian, you know, oligarchs just get sick and tired of losing their money and somebody just takes out Putin. Like probably not going to happen, but I think they're they're all like maybe if this if we could keep dragging this on and keep fucking up the Russian economy and keep sanctions and their oligarchs who who do run the country with Putin kind of you know, maybe he puts his guard down and gets taken out. And then we actually get a lot more because it's just like, okay, now we have a chance to make peace. That's what I think they're waiting for. Honestly, I think it's a stalemate and I would do that until, until Russia comes to the table with like a valid, sincere, which, what does that mean with Russia uh, negotiation? Like what, 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 how would you trust anything? Like, sure. We'll give you this. How would you trust that in a year from now? They don't just keep coming in when you put your guard down. I just, I just, I don't think you could, I think the starting point is let's just keep fighting and, until, until somebody wins, whatever that is. Yeah. So that's where like, okay. So that's where like the American role um, comes in pretty heavily. Right. Um, because yeah. Ukraine is uh, fighting and, and doing well by dint of Western arms, right? Like that, that's it's, it's, but for that, they would have actually been crushed. Right. Um, so that, you know, the, the valor and so on aside, which is un undeniable, um, 
it, it, it is like the arms that are doing a lot of the work too. Um, so my question is, is that do we take like Zelensky seriously? Um, and he's been pretty consistent about this, um, that he wants, you know, Russia to pay basically, um, uh, not only, you know, recover land, but then, you know, like get punished for, for doing what it did that would effectively require, um, and another historian has like argued this is like, that would mean like you have to take Moscow. Like you have to like have a, Russia would have to have an absolute defeat kind of like, you know, World War II style where they're then subjected to what I'm sure they would view as like a victor's justice. But um, to, to achieve all that, that, you would have to have a total and absolute military and political defeat of this very large, powerful country, um, which, as you mentioned, is nuclearly armed and I doubt would go down <laughs> without using those, right? So the question then becomes is that how much longer um, does the US continue to back this, which um, can lead to the unintended consequences of a much larger, um, oh my God, you know, yeah, you know, fight, um, which I don't think anybody really wants, but, but I know that's but in the offing, you know, un unfortunately, like this, we're not going any other direction. I'm, and I'm not implying we're going to have a war. I mean, look what's going on with China. Look what's going on with Saudi Arabia. I mean, the, the, the more technology grows, the more power these monsters, these dictator, the, these dictator monsters have. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not by any means letting America off the hook here. We have our problems. We know that. But but I think overall, we do a lot of good as well. I, I don't see how you sit back and watch a country that's a democratically elected country, which is an important country in terms of trade with, with fertilizer and grain, be just taken over. And you actually have an opportunity right now to help. The Ukrainians without indirectly fighting, and they are. I mean, they haven't even gotten the tanks yet or the leopard tanks from Germany. I mean, it's going to, they're going to whoop some ass when they get that stuff and they need to get it there fast. I am from the, I'm from, you know, as much as I'm anti war, I'm also anti dictators being able to just go rape and kill and pillage. And I think we have an obligation to support them as much as possible. And if we're going to sit around our whole entire lives being afraid that like it could cause a conflict, it's like, yeah, dude, that's how, including the U S that's how these superpowers work. Everything's almost a conflict. Like we, that's just the reality of it. There might be a conflict and it's going to be horrible and it's going to suck, but there is a conflict right now. They're literally taking over a country and that inches them closer to our major allies in Europe from Poland to France to you know, Italy, Germany, like, why do we trust that he's going to stop right there? It, historically speaking, I mean, you better than anybody would know if we're going to, if you're going to play historian and go, oh yeah, let's trust the Russians, is going to take it over and then there's peace. Pro probably not. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm also listening to this crazy podcast, which I do recommend called How to Take Over the World. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's basically like the Cliff's Notes to like these wackos, like Napoleon, Joan of Arc, Alexander the Great, Caesar. Uh, Steve Jobs, Walt Disney, they all have something in common, including Zelensky. They believe they're going to do something in where everyone's calling them insane. And yeah. that to me is like, 
I don't know. Historically speaking, if he thinks he's going to go into Moscow and do it, that might be the advantage the Ukrainians need and have to um, get to whatever the version of win is that we will see one day. It might literally be this crazy little comedian that believes he's going to march into Moscow and fucking arrest all these people and kill Putin. I don't think he's going to do it, but I'm also not telling him no. Like, sure, go go do it. What do they have to lose? Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I would agree with that in terms of, you know, that if, if you want to like personalize like historical change and like, of course, people matter, right? It's not like we're not just like automatons being manipulated by structures totally. But um, the, the other side, the flip side of that is that it is true that the, tr it is the true, you need the true believer to like change things. Yes. Um, but it is also equally true that um, true believers and men without doubt that are armed are like the most dangerous people on the world in the world. Um, and and so that it can kind of go either way, you know, um, sure. and I get what you're saying. Like, this is all like it's, you know, and maybe you're right that this is this is what international affairs is. It's always just brinkmanship. And, you know, you know, you do this and I do that. Um, when the Russians were were supplying the Syrians with rockets, they were tipping a potential war with the United States. <clears throat> they didn't stop when, <clears throat> excuse me, when the Iranians are sending drones to Russia right now, they're possibly going to get in a conflict with the United States that they would lose, but they don't seem to care. So at, it's really weird because it's like, I'm, I'm clearly like a super progressive. Like, I don't want any of this. I don't. But at some point. Like, what is the alternative? Just like, well, we're in America. <clears throat> you guys do what you're going to do. Sure. Give Russia this. Give Iran this. Give whoever this. And like, we're just going to sit here on our island. And if you fuck with us, we'll, we'll, we'll whoop your ass. But like, it's just not the way we designed the world. And yeah. it's partly our fault. We've designed the world where when shit like this happens, at this point, we have a real responsibility whatever the consequence to to somehow try to fix it whether it's diplomacy or militarily whatever it is um but i have to think at some point the sanctions are going to take effect you have to think at See, some point this is the thing this is every yeah. important russia analyst who i trust say it won't matter <laughs> has basically said that what has surprised everyone is the resiliency and the adaptability of the Russian sure. economy, right? And so that what should be what should be bringing a lot of pain um, to the population um, is being reoriented, which was precisely like the whole like Eastern aim of um, sort of the Eurasianism of of, of Putin's vision of, of creating like a a self-contained. Um, economic trading block that is not dependent on Western trade and therefore, you know, impervious to sanctions, right? So like that's kind of happening um, and that's a surprise. Okay, so what did when, when we first went into Afghanistan after 9-11, when everybody wanted war, what did we think was going to happen? I mean, we had banners, mission accomplished. We we're going to fuck them up. 
they have no let me just that was, hold a, on. That was a rock <laughs> mission accomplished oh, was, a rock. Yeah. It was a rock but but we went to afghanistan nobody was thinking the taliban might win the united states might lose this war obviously smart people historians probably were like it's not a winnable war i'm just saying whatever okay so russia is, is going to be resilient with sanctions at some point it's going it, to it's going to take effect because it, it it's just the way the world works the, the the way the trade works in the united in the world is that at some point they're going to feel something somebody's going to feel it that doesn't want to feel it um so and, i'm going to put a wrinkle into this right now okay um, and the wrinkle is two things are happening on the one hand in terms of like putin's strategy and you know and we don't really know what he's thinking. So, you know, this is pure speculation just based on what he's done um, and what he's written. That the the cause of the war, in his view, is Western uh, creep towards the approaches to Russia, right? And saying that basically given World War One and World War Two, Russia uh, demands and deserves a sort of security buffer. Um, and therefore, you know, Ukraine needs to be part of that. The Baltic states should never have been in NATO, et cetera, right? So that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's the claim. Now, what he ended up doing is producing the exact opposite, where now everybody wants to join NATO. Even Sweden wants to join NATO. I know. Um, and there's been a sort of full-scale consolidation and rallying around Ukraine and a consolidation of, like, what we call the West, Right. So like what wasn't there before, you know, is like been strengthened. So in, in that view, he's like completely failed. Right. Like that's 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 one. But the flip side is, is that um, he and the Chinese um, and other, you know, interested parties like sort of um, junior partners to that duo um, can also are, are, you know, are a massive part of the world um, and create their own trading blockage, which is exactly what they're trying to do. Um, the Chinese in Africa and in, in the Pacific um, and Russia all around the Eurasian landmass, right? So that they can create a sort of market that's their own that is separate. And as we know, since China is the manufacturer to America, the Americans are really dependent on the Chinese economy as well. So he's got that in his back pocket, which allows um, the Russian economy to be not completely, but somewhat shielded from whatever sort of, you know, Western um, sanctions that come, not to mention the fact that Europe is ever thirsty for uh, Russian gas and oil, right? So, so there's all of these sort of things here that allow him to play the waiting game to drag this thing out, to make it a war of attrition. Um, and uh, my question is, is that if, you know, maybe Zelensky's war aims will change when, you know, the facts on the ground are different. But right now, um, if we were to, like, again, to take him seriously, um, it would, the only way this could be achieved would be with like full on American participation like boots on the ground, you know, that sort of thing that, you know, NATO, NATO is mobilized, all of that. Um, Cause otherwise it's like, otherwise it's, uh, it's effectively the other approach, which is kind of the approach we're doing now is, is, uh, is funding a stalemate. No, I disagree. All right, go on. It's a stalemate now 
and the Ukrainians don't have the weapons they need. When you when they get these leopard tanks, when they get these rockets, when they get more advanced techno technologically sound weaponry from the West, they're going to they're going to push and push and push. I guarantee you, the second those not the second, but after the tanks arrive and the new rocket launchers arrive, you will see the Ukrainians start to inch back into the land they might be losing right now. So whatever you think a stalemate is, that's fine. But the sanctions are working. From what I'm reading, the sanctions are slowly working, but the chip imports aren't happening. There's no technology going into Russia right now. And if you try to rely on the Chinese, you're going to get garbage because we're not, we're having a chip war with them right now. Everything's about these fucking chips now. And that's why everybody's freaking out. And guess who makes the most of them? We do. Right. So all I'm saying is, there are means to put pressure on Russia, not necessarily like the economy is going to collapse overnight. I mean, our, we're in a fucking 30 year war and our economy didn't collapse. Like they could survive that. Like if anybody's sitting around thinking one day the Russian economy just tanks and there's nothing there, they're bananas. It's like, what, one of the top 10 largest economies in the world? That's, I don't think that's the point of sanctions. I think the point is to figure out tactics to suffocate specific sects of trade to them so that companies feel it. You can't get the chips, you can't make the cars. You can't get the chips, you can't make the computers. That affects specific parts of their economy that you will feel. So I'm just saying, I'm all in on our crazy defense budget. What is it right now? Three to 6% is what we're spending on the Ukraine now out of the gazillions, if that's even a number. I'm cool bumping it to 10, dude. Give them what they need. Have France, Russia, or France, Russia, or fuck, France, England, Germany. Italy, Germany. Like, pay up. Everybody send them the, the things. And here's the deal. If Russia attacks anyone in NATO, then, then it's unfortunately the inevitable, which nobody wants. And I don't think Russia wants that, by the way. That's what everyone doesn't understand is China doesn't want to go to war with the U.S. The U.S. doesn't want to go to war with China. Nobody wins these wars. It's all posturing. It's all political. It's all a flex. You know, it's a lot of. Actually, the only person I'm kind of afraid of is the North Korea, is King Jong Un in in, in uh, Korea because he might be nuts. But he hasn't hit anybody no. with anything. No. They're all posturing. That's what these morons do. You know, the fear is always like, oh, Vladimir Putin has cancer. He may just, you know, maybe not sure. But like, is that how we're gonna? Is that how we're gonna? Uh, approach world politics is like maybe someone's going is going to die and they're going to do something crazy i don't know so they're all egomaniacs they all want their place in history i think he tried i think he thought they were going to come in and quickly take the ukraine and it didn't happen just like uh, afghanistan for us we were in there for a long time because war makes money there are people getting rich off this war which we don't need to get into here that love it so i don't know i, I have faith in the ukrainians um, winning a version of this war without giving up too much, you know, maybe, okay. maybe the negotiation negotiation is they, they give up something. Um, but I don't see how they could agree to giving up everything that's attached to water. Like that's what Russia is taking is anything that's attached to water and, and making them a landlocked country. I, I can't see that happening. I don't, I, I wouldn't agree to that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so Right now, that's off the table for the Ukrainians because they want as it, all, it should be right. Um, and I guess like one question we can kind of end on this is that would a victory for Ukraine? Um, and I'm referring again to a piece in Foreign Affairs um, 
that this guy Steve Kotkin wrote a while ago. Um, what is like asking the question, what does victory look like? You know, so if imagine if there's a total victory, um, save for the, you know, war crimes tribunal and stuff like that, because that's also like very iffy because it's also reported that Ukrainian soldiers have committed war crimes. So, you know, I'm sure they have, you know, um, but, um, let's imagine that they get all of their land back. Yeah. Um, but they don't get to join NATO or join Europe. You know, yep. is that victory, right? So like the yeah. flip side is that would it be victory that if they maybe they gave up some no. of those lands, no. they, they, they kept some access to water, but then they were allowed to join NATO and no. the EU. Would that be victory? Right? No. So, no, victory, so is, victory is getting as much of your own land back as possible, if not all of it. That's victory. Well, what is the thing is, if you if you you can gain all the land back, and then you can basically have notional control over it, because really you're under the shadow of Russia, right? So like you, Which yeah, you could, you could you could you could you could yeah, sure, you could say yes, we are a sovereign state, but really you're kind of bowing to Moscow. Whereas the counter argument would be is like you lose some land, but you actually have sovereign power because you're part of this like coalition now. All right. Well, I'm not excited about any of this, but yeah, um, <laughs> basically all bad options, which yeah. is what happens well, am, with war, right? I'm violently rooting for the Ukrainians to of course, win. Of course. So, um, you know, until I'm, I'm see... also like, for me, I think I've like, I mean, I've taught like World War One and the origins of World War One so many times. And I just get terrified uh, with this yeah, stuff. Of course. Um, because sucks. you never think, you know, like the question I always ask my students is like, oh, why did it become World War One? It was not just called the Third Balkan War, right? It wasn't just like right. this lo localized little thing. There were just two Balkan Wars the year and the year before 1914. So why not number three? Um, and so, you know, things can take on a sort of internal logic and momentum, um, irrespective of people's intentions, um, even best intentions. And so that's, that's, that's all I worry about is that on the one hand, I'm all for sending um, you know, materiel to the Ukrainians to help them defend themselves. On the other hand, that's also how you get this one-upmanship and accelerationism that leads to massive wars. 100%. So, yeah. All terrifying. No yeah. good. Yep. All right. I'm all glad right. we got that out of the way. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, we're back next week. Yes. Let's do next more, week. A little let's more consistently. It. Yes. All right. All right. No Politics at the Dinner Table is produced by Alvin Pakash. G. Betaroy does our uh, awesome tunes. And uh, Alex Tepper did our really cool theme song. Uh, check out our website. We will start being back more regularly um, leading up to this awesome election coming up. See you next week.